going to take this moment to welcome you to Estes Chapel, to a place where in the glorious busyness of your semester, you can come and push pause and worship. And there's a group that we have not officially welcomed as a seminary community, and that is our new students this semester. So if you are a new student, either you're new to Asbury or you began your studies elsewhere and are new to this campus, I want to invite you to stand now, if you're new, so that we can let you know how glad we are that you're here. Let's give them a big Asbury welcome. you feel welcomed now. <laughs> Asbury is a wonderful place to be new. I hope you've discovered that. It is full of heart and hospitality. And I should know because I have been new here twice now. Um, <laughs> my family and I arrived mid-June as I began work here as dean of the chapel. And my husband Jim is in chapel here today and I want to give you a chance to meet him, so if you'll wave, Jim, it's right here. <laughs> and we have been recipients of your kindness and grace all summer long as we've transitioned here from Texas. But um, this is not my first time to be new here at Asbury Seminary. 15 years ago, I rolled into town to begin my MDiv degree on this campus. And things were not that much different then than they are today. There were two stoplights, <laughs> one Subway, one Fitch's, one Solomon's, and that glorious beacon of the resurrection, the cross atop the water tower. <laughs> a few things have changed a little bit in those years. The shape of our campus has changed with Callis Village and the new dorms here. The global nature of our community is much more pronounced with us going into more of the world than ever and more of the world coming to us. Some things have changed a little bit on campus. Um, a few of the professors had more hair back then. <laughs> but the nature of this place the glorious, spirit filled, sanctified nature of this place remains much unchanged. When I arrived here as a student, I had been feeling called to go to seminary for several years. I'd even known that Asbury was my choice of places to study for a couple of years, but I had been waiting for it to be the right timing to come. And many of you know that feeling of waiting on the Lord and the anticipation of beginning your work here. So I was eager. I had high anticipation and high expectations about what seminary life might be like. And I will never forget my first chapel in this room. I could show you the seat where I was sitting. It's about midway back on that side. That's a good seat you're in right there. The music started and we stood to sing and I had never heard singing like that in church before. People sang at the tops of their voices. People around me were, were raising their hands and closing their eyes. People were lifting their faces to God. This, 
This was a moment that I had been looking forward to for a long, long time. And I felt, I felt nothing. It seems my body had moved to Kentucky, but my feelings had not yet followed. And so my heart was just not in it that first day in worship. I even raised my hands a little to see if that would help. But <laughs> that actually made me feel like a fraud. Like everyone else belonged here but me. I heard a word echoing in my head, and it was not a nice word. It was a word of accusation. It was a word directed at me, and that word was poser. Poser? I mean, that's a middle school insult, right? <laughs> it was that word we used to describe people who were a, a, a fake or a fraud, a, a poser. And, and in that moment, when I heard that word in my head, I thought, maybe I have made a big mistake. Because here I am in this holiest of holy places, and I am just not feeling it. If you and I get to experience enough days as people of faith in Christ, there are bound to be some days when we will just not feel it. If you are blessed and free enough to attend many worship services in your lifetime, there is a good chance that you will walk into worship on many days just not feeling it. Should that stop us from worshiping? If we wait until we are feeling it to sing out our words of praise to God, then what percentage of the time would you even open your mouth to sing? Would it be 70%? 50%? maybe 30. We all have days when our mouths are moving, but our hearts are not moved. There are days, even in this place, where head and heart do not go hand in hand. And so we say the words of liturgy and we sing the songs of praise anyway. When we do that, are we being authentic? Or are we just posers? Authenticity is one of the great and favorite buzzwords of this culture right now. I don't know if you've noticed that. If you shop around in the Christian living section of the bookstore, if you follow the Christian blogosphere at all, you will hear a lot about authenticity, about authentic relationships, authentic worship, authentic community, authentic preaching. A, a professor friend recently began teaching a class of preaching to undergraduate students. And when these 18 to 22 year olds were asked at the beginning of the class, what kind of preacher do you like to listen to? Most of them responded with words like, someone who's authentic, someone who's real. And when they were pressed to describe what those words authentic and real meant, they said, you know, they tell stories about their own life. They talk about how broken and flawed they are. First, let's just say that it is a gift to be authentic, to be able to be real with people in our struggles and in our joys. Uh, let's go on the record once and for all and say that it is a good thing that we live in a day when people of faith no longer have to be considered a hypocritical bunch who never have a bad day pretend to be something that they're not. 
Brennan Manning, that ragamuffin poster child of Christian authenticity, said it this way, there is a beautiful transparency to honest disciples who never wear a false face and do not pretend to be anything but who they are. And so, thank God for a day when we encourage one another not to pretend to have already arrived since our greatest need for Christ is found in our greatest moments of surrender to him. Thank God for authenticity. I pray that we will be a community that will be real with each other. Then let me ask you this. Shall I wait until the authentic feeling of gratitude overcomes me to offer praise? Shall I wait until the authentic feeling of conviction overwhelms me before I confess sin? Should I wait until I'm so moved that I can no longer sit still before I stand and praise and sing? Should I wait until the authentic desire for those things comes before I worship God? What if those who were married waited until being overcome by warm, fuzzy feelings of love before saying the words, I love you, to their spouse? How often would they say it? 30? Would the champions of authentic relationship encourage us to speak what we don't always feel to our loved ones? And what would they think about our passage from Hebrews today encouraging us with these words, remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God to you, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Imitate. You mean we're to look to people of great faith and try to imitate them? How inauthentic of us is that? Or or how about the direction that same passage gives to continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God? That, That word continually, does that apply even when I'm not feeling it? Maybe that is, in fact, part of the sacrifice of praise. To sacrifice my right to do what comes naturally to me, and instead focus on what is true about God. I don't know about you, but my experiences change day to day. My feelings, minute to minute. But Jesus Christ, blessedly, stays the same yesterday, today, and forever. An authentic worship flows out of who God is and what he has done in Jesus Christ. Authentic worship is declaring what's true about Jesus yesterday, today, and forever, no matter what is true about me today. When we worship, we do so out of what we know to be true about Christ, no matter what we know to be true about ourselves. And this This is a sacrifice of praise so small compared to the sacrifice of the one that we are worshiping. We are authentic to the eternal, no matter if it feels sometimes like we're posing in the temporal. So what about that that false dichotomy, that one given to us by our culture that says, you can either be an authentic person or a poser. Well, in 2012, a psychologist named Amy Cuddy gave a TED Talk that has since been viewed over 9 million times. 
It was on a subject called power posing. Power posing. The tagline was this, fake it till you become it. And Dr. Cuddy had done studies that showed that if you hold a power pose for two minutes, that it affects the level of hormones related to stress and confidence in your body, that it actually changes how we feel about ourselves. And a posture she recommends is called the Peter Pan pose. I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna ask Luke. to stand and demonstrate feet shoulder width apart, hands on hips, chest out, and chin unnaturally raised, a little high. You can. And uh, I'm gonna ask you, a little higher with the chin, I'm gonna ask you to hold that pose for just a minute. Stay right there. Uh, This study recommends striking a power pose for two minutes especially before entering a place you want to feel especially confident, a a job interview, a a first date. And and whether or not we feel confident, Dr. Cuddy suggests, if we take on these poses of confidence and power, our body chemistry begins to change. Even now, according to this study, uh, Luke's level of hormones related to stress are dropping. And the level of hormones related to confidence are rising in his body. The Peter Pan posture is supposed to give you confidence even with you don't feel it. Let's thank Luke. Thank you for being a good sport. I'm assuming that he is feeling supremely confident and self-assured in the fact that he will never, ever volunteer to participate in chapel again. Now, we have always known that our body language changes how other people see us, right? But did we realize that our body language can change us and how we see ourselves? I'm not saying that I think the people who did this study, that the nine million people who searched and found and watched it online were seeking a godly version of confidence in the Lord. But I do think there's something to be learned there as those who respond to God's call to bring the sacrifice of praise and worship, as those who put our obedience in a posture before our emotions. I would invite us, instead of naming what we do in worship as a pose, to think instead about the word posture. If science is telling us that holding a posture of confidence can change us into more confident people, What will happen instead when we adopt a posture of humility, a posture of prayer, a posture of adoration, praising God's name or or bowing before his throne? Do it until you become it, the TED Talk people said. It's inauthenticity that brings authentic results. And if a power pose can bring self-reliance, can we not find a posture that brings reliance on God? If a pose recommended by a TED Talk can bring self-reliance, self-assurance, can we not find a place of worship that brings blessed assurance? 
Be yourself, the word says. Keep it real. We want authentic preaching, they're saying. You know, when you tell stories from your own life, when you talk about how broken and flawed you are, about that style of preaching, I would just say this. Transparency is a great thing. Only when it allows people to see through you to the cross. There are times when in the name of authenticity, our failures can be just as much of an idol as our successes, a mask that we wear. And John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, was purported to have said towards the end of his life, although my memory is fading, I remember two things very clearly. What are they? I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. When you proclaim the word, don't get so caught up in being a great sinner that you forget to offer them Christ, the great Savior. Preach the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, even when you were not. My, my first experience of worship in this room, that memory of that day, it's so overwhelmed and overcome by the fact that I worshiped anyway, by the fact that I came back again and again for four years. For four years I sang and I listened. I worshiped with heart and mind. People laid their hands on me in prayer and I laid hands on people and prayed for them. I knelt at this altar and offered all of myself to Jesus over and over again. I had friends who got married in this room. From this pulpit, this pulpit, I heard some of the greatest preaching of God's word that I've ever heard in my life. And some days I fought to stay awake. <laughs> you can't win them all. This place, this is a place of authentic worship. But it's the authenticity of the cross that makes it so. And I want to invite you to this place of authentic worship this year. I want to invite you to come to chapel over and over again. When your heart is overflowing with praise and gratitude and you cannot keep yourself from singing praises to God. When you're feeling lonely and broken and homesick, I want to invite you to come and lament here in this community. When you're convicted by sin and you need a place to confess, I want to invite you to come here and experience the lightning of that burden and of forgiveness. But I also want to invite you here when there is no longing in you for praise, for lament, for confession, I want to invite you here when you feel nothing. Because the days when you feel like worshiping the least are the days you need to worship the most. The days you feel like praying the least are the days that you need to pray the most. And the days you feel least like even opening your mouth to sing are the days you need to sing the loudest. You will have times here where head and heart do not go hand in hand. And on those days, I invite you to bring the sacrifice 
Bring the sacrifice of praise. Do it until you become it. Take on a a posture of worship for the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen.